0: There's no point lying in bed saying to yourself, I must sleep, I must sleep, because that will will never help you fall
2: back asleep. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the production editor of BBC Focus magazine. With the clocks turning back this week, now's a good time to think about sleep. We spend a third of our lives doing it, and it's a behaviour we share with every animal on Earth. But for such a ubiquitous activity, a good night's slumber can be surprisingly difficult to achieve. Professor Alice Gregory is a sleep psychologist and author of the book, Nodding Off, The Science of Sleep from Cradle to Grave. She spent her career attempting to understand why so many of us suffer when the lights go out. In this week's podcast, she speaks to staff writer and long-suffering insomniac James Lloyd about the importance of sleep, the realities of insomnia and what we can do to maximise our chances of a good night's rest. Before we begin, please note that this podcast is not intended as a replacement for medical advice. If you think you are suffering from a sleep disorder, then please contact your GP.
2: So Alice, you're an expert in the science of sleep. I was wondering what first got you interested in studying sleep?
0: Ah, that's a great question. Um, I can remember, in fact, the exact moment that I became interested in this topic. Um, And I was an undergraduate student. I was in the third year of my uh, undergraduate degree on psychology. Um, And Uh, we had a new lecturer and it was fascinating because I'd learned so much about uh, psychology, the science of mind and behaviour. So I'd learned about all the things that students usually uh, learn about developmental psychology, social psychology, psychology, memory, learning, perception, various other topics as well. But nobody had ever really mentioned sleep or focused on sleep and the new lecturer um focused that was her area of research so she argued really well um that really to understand our lives or the waking part of our lives it would be important not to ignore sleep
2: and then so you've got a new book out which is um nodding off Uh, why did you decide to write this book
0: uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. So um, I've been interested in sleep research for uh, so many years now. Um, and I, of course, think it's fascinating. I spent my life thinking about uh, sleep and researching it in relation to different things. Um, and I think like many academics, I always had in the back of my mind that it might be nice to write a book. Um, but I think, uh, probably to be honest years ago I used to think I don't know if anyone would be interested in reading it <laughs> um, so if you speak to um, let's say a child an average I don't know I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old so an average child of around their age um, if you ask them to think of about the most boring thing they can um it, it would I wouldn't be surprised if they came up with sleep um, so I did appreciate that not everyone found it as fascinating as I did um but then I had a baby um and uh, all the new parents that I met were um, fascinated by sleep um, and I think as well even though I've been researching it a long time I've never really had first-hand sleep deprivation um of the type i had when my first child was born um so i thought it might be a good time to sort of share some of the information i'd learned over the years but um i don't just focus on children's sleep i think um uh, i spoke to a publisher in fact and he said that's great but why don't you uh, extend that to look at it across the life course so
2: okay so the theme of this podcast is how to get a good night's sleep Um, But before we go on to talk about that, I thought it would be a good idea to remind ourselves of why sleep is such an important thing in the first place. Um, So what kind of effects does a bad night's sleep have on us?
0: Yeah, well, um, I think we are learning all the time about the importance of sleep. It's, um, people often talk about the fact that researchers don't agree on the, the, the functions of sleep. Uh, but, but actually, I think that um, we all pretty much agree that it's important. Um, and, and we're finding out all the time what it's important for. So uh, there was a study a few years back looking at how sleep can help with removing toxins from the brain that may build up during the day. Um, We know that sleep is important for learning and memory, uh, the functioning of the immune system. There's literature looking at sleep in relation to weight. Um, And uh, there's all kinds of studies that's even been found that uh, if you you sleep, uh, get enough sleep, then you're more likely to look your best. So it's it seems to be related to um, so much of our waking lives. Mm-hmm. So that beauty sleep is kind of true, then. <laughs> exactly. In fact, that might have even it was either the title of the paper or um, uh, one of the uh, uh, media articles written about it. So yeah, there was there was a headline. I think it was something like you know there is some truth to beauty sleep.
2: <laughs> and of course, there are links to mental health as well, aren't there? Like bad sleep is, yeah. is linked to bad mental health too, as well as physical health.
0: Yes. And there have been some really important studies recently showing that um, uh, by uh, improving sleep or giving people help for their sleep actually it appears to have positive effects for different aspects of psychological well-being as well, which is really exciting because it provides the potential opportunity of, uh, to uh, support people's mental health by improving their sleep.
2: Okay. um, So going on to bad sleep then, um, I myself am quite a bad sleeper. Um, I've always had problems with sleep, but recently it's kind of almost tipped the balance into going into kind of full-on insomnia. So I was wondering, when does a sleep problem become insomnia? What is the definition of insomnia? Yeah, uh,
0: that's uh, another good question. And uh, Sorry to hear about your sleep. Um, So uh, I I think many of us, uh, certainly I have experienced bad nights of sleep you know that's something that uh, a lot many people do experience Um, but when it becomes a a clinically significant problem so something that perhaps uh, people need to get help for and so when it's when it's a diagnosable insomnia disorder depends on various features so for example um, we need to think about frequency so is this just once once a month if it is then it's unlikely to uh, be considered insomnia however if, if it was occurring three or more times a week um then uh uh, that would be one a bit of information that the doctor would be interested in in terms of um Uh, making an insomnia diagnosis, Uh, the the duration as well. I mean, I've had periods, short periods, uh, when I've had periods of stress at work, for example, and I haven't slept very well. But um, if if it's going on for an extended period, so for example, over three months, then uh, again, that would be something that uh, a doctor would be interested in. Uh, Uh, We also think about impairment. So is this having an impairment on your daytime functioning? Um, uh, For example, in your work or your relationships or other areas of your life, that would be relevant too. Um, And there are other criteria as well. So for example, are you having a a reasonable opportunity to sleep? So we know, for example, with new parents, they may be woken up multiple times uh, in the night and this may get for an extended period um but it's not necessarily that they have insomnia but rather that they don't have this opportunity for um this sleep in the way that other people might have because they're being woken um because they're attending to the needs of a newborn baby um, so opportunity is another thing that's considered yeah
2: and so you mentioned stress there as one possible trigger of insomnia um, i was wondering what are the different reasons why people get insomnia is it is it linked to lifestyle and environment mostly, or is there a genetic component as well, for instance?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there are so many different potential triggers for insomnia. Um, certainly, stressful life events can be something that can uh, lead to the development of insomnia. Um, I think you asked about genetic a genetic component as well um, and actually some of my work has looked at twins um, and I've been interested in uh, identical and non-identical twins and we use this information in order to try and draw conclusions about genetic and environmental uh, influences on uh, sleep um, and relationship to other things as well um but, but certainly, these studies seem to suggest that there is a genetic component um meaning that uh if you look at a group of people um, and we look at their individual differences in insomnia symptoms, then differences in terms of their genes may be important as well as differences in terms of their environmental experiences as well um but but yeah so sort of to go back to your question, I think this is the main causes of insomnia. Um, So, you know, there may be a genetic vulnerability in certain people, there may be uh, life events that can uh, lead to these sleepless nights. And then it's also quite important to then think about what happens at that point. So, um, you know, many people have sleepless nights and um, perhaps uh, don't worry too much about them. But there can also be problems when you start uh, uh sort of responding to your sleepless nights in specific ways so for example the way you're thinking about this or the way that you're behaving um so that's useful to know about as well so for example there's there's no point lying in bed saying to yourself i must sleep i must sleep because that will that will never help you fall back asleep or, or catastrophizing about the effects of sleeplessness where you might be thinking um you know if i don't sleep then this will lead to this problem and various other problems and so you know, again, um, that,
1: that's not helpful
2: in terms of uh, getting sleep. I find with me it's almost like a vicious cycle because I, I'll have a bad night's sleep and then because I know how important sleep is and because I want to sleep so much, I'll, I'll try even harder the next night to sleep. Yes. And obviously yeah. the harder you try to sleep, the harder it is to get to sleep. So then you have another bad night's sleep. So it's almost like a, a kind of yeah self-reinforcing type thing. So the way to do it, I guess, is to step back from it, is it and to almost not, almost not worry too much about it.
0: I mean, one of the so when I was researching my book, uh, my book, one of the um, interesting bits of information that I was reading about was that um, there have been some theories about the fact that historically we used to take two sleeps in the night. Um, So we would go to sleep, would naturally wake up, do something else, and then go back to sleep. And one of the things that I thought about this was how. sort of how positive that um, model could be in terms of insomnia so instead of lying there and feeling that you're failing in terms of your sleep and um, potentially even think of it as, um, as sort of uh, 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 something that is uh, many people experience and uh, there are different ways of sleeping I think as long as you give yourself sufficient opportunity uh, that's important do what you can to give yourself enough sleep but I think you know things do often go wrong with sleep but uh it's it's a good idea if possible not to try to overthink it so just to kind of almost go with it and do what you can to deal with it um, I mean, I've, I, I can't, of course, comment on your specific case. And I'm, just to add, I'm not a uh, medically trained. I'm not a doctor or a clinical psychologist. Um, but but certainly, I would recommend to people talk to your doctor, try and get some help. We know that for chronic insomnia, um, at CBTI, so cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, can be a very useful uh, first line um, uh, uh, approach to dealing with this. So so individual individual people would need to speak to their doctor about whether that would be appropriate for them given their specific case or not.
2: For those of us who do um, wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep, what, what would you recommend doing? Should people get up and do something, um, somehow, you know, tire up their brain? Or is it just a better idea just to lie there and hope that your, your brain just naturally goes to sleep again?
0: Yeah, um, I think uh, it's a good idea if possible. I know, you know, not everyone has uh,
2: uh, the luxury of
0: multiple rooms but um if if you if you're not in the studio if you can uh, perhaps leave the room, certainly leave your bed. That would be a good idea. Uh, my reason for this suggestion is that there can be problems if you begin to associate your bed with sleeplessness. So if you begin to you know, you get into bed and the association that you formed with that is that of lying there awake, possibly stressed, wishing you could go back to sleep, then that's uh, not going to be useful. So if you can get up, go and do something else, um, that, 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 that's a very
2: positive thing. So something we're hearing in the media quite a lot is that technology use is disrupting our sleep patterns. Um, I was wondering if this is something you see in the data and the statistics. Right,
0: yeah. Well, they have now. There's a lot of interest in that particular topic, in fact. And it does seem that increased technology use is associated with, for example, delayed bedtime in uh, adolescence and shorter sleep, for example. So there do appear to be these links. Um, And if you think about the possible mechanisms, this makes sense. So, for example, we know that certain types of light can disrupt our melatonin. So melatonin is um, the darkness hormone, uh, which can give our body a cue that it's time to go to sleep um, so so if for example we were looking at a tablet and it was emitting a certain type of light that could disrupt our melatonin so our body might not be getting a cue that they it, that we should be going to sleep um but then there are other possibilities as well so arousal um i know that when i look at my whatsapp messages before bed there's often something exciting to think about and that's not a good idea <laughs> or um uh, e- even the time that we spend um, on our devices is time that we could be sleeping. Um, but I should just caution that some researchers have um, pointed out that much of the data that we refer to are associations rather than showing causal links. So, for example, um, it's been proposed that another possibility is that in some people, they may not be sleeping well, so may therefore be reaching for their uh, technology. So, it could be a kind of two way approach. Uh,
2: Yes, to some extent. Right okay and the other thing I was going to ask about is there is a lot of contradictory advice out there on how much sleep we actually need to get each night. Um, for a long time it seemed to be eight hours, I've heard recently I think six hours, I know some people get by on you know four hours night a yeah. night. Um, yeah. Is there any scientific consensus on how many hours sleep we need or does it just depend on the person? Yeah yeah
0: um, and I, I'm the same as you, I mean I grew up thinking that people needed eight hours of sleep a night to function well um, and that was a kind of something that I think many of us just all believed Um, but quite recently there have been guidelines published um, about the amount of sleep we need each night so the National Sleep Foundation uh, which um, uh, is an organization in the USA um, I think designed to uh, provide general information about sleep um, uh, proposed some guidelines so some scientists reviewed the literature and came up with the amount of sleep that we need at different stages of the life and and like you said um you know there are individual differences in terms of what we need and this was highlighted in the recommendations so for example i think teenagers it was recommended that most teenagers need between eight and ten hours a night most adults like the older adults need between seven to nine hours a night as you um uh, move into sort of 65 plus maybe um seven to eight hours a night there are different um a- a- amounts but but also another factor is within this paper it also said that and in some cases the um, amount of sleep we need may be even different so uh even less than eight or more than 10 hours for teenagers for example
2: okay so the slight stereotype about teenagers having long lines is kind of justified then well
0: actually there's uh, another reason for that as well it's um, there's a there's a natural change in sleep timing that occurs um during adolescence it seems to be linked to puberty um so yeah if you're asking um people often say if you're asking a teenager to get up at eight it's like asking somebody a, a, an older person to get up at uh, six or maybe even earlier so there is this change and then with the um, weekend lion this can often be to catch up with the sleep loss because obviously society doesn't allow this change in sleep timing and instead teenagers have to get up to make it to school and um, uh, have to or or, or encouraged to go to bed early so they can get enough sleep so often you find that um, teenagers are catching up at the weekend
2: yeah (laughs) so for those of us who struggle to get a good night's sleep we talked a little bit about the kind of things that can cause that I was wondering what your top five tips are for you know getting a good night a good night's rest
0: well one thing i would say is that i don't think there's any um kind of uh, sort of one solution um so i think lots of the tips that i have are probably ones that you've heard before um, but uh, i think probably uh useful bits of information are to get a consistent routine um so to go to bed and to get up at the same time every day if you can or a similar time and that really sort of helps your body uh realize when it's time to be asleep and time to be awake so that
2: can be useful does that mean no um weekend lions then as well the, uh, the weekend
0: line is an interesting one because um, I think one finding is that many people are slightly sleep deprived. Um, so it can actually be quite beneficial to catch up a little bit at the weekend. Um, so, so I guess ideally we would be sleeping, at getting enough sleep and sleeping at the same time Um day de- in the day in the weekdays and at the weekend but in reality we know that that's often impossible and if you're missing out on sleep during the week then you have to sort of balance that consistency it's getting enough sleep and catching up on sleep.
2: So that was number one. What's, what's your second one? So I think
0: uh, exercise can be useful when it comes to our sleep. It can help us uh, nod off more quickly and get a better night's sleep, so better sleep quality. Um, and I think this is an interesting one because um, it was once recommended that we shouldn't exercise before bed. Um, it makes us feel hot and alert and uh, it, you know, those things don't necessarily sit well with falling asleep um but i think more recent data don't really um uh, suggest that that's um, important so we should you know moderate exercise at any time appears to be um a good thing
2: when it comes to our sleep so number three
0: three uh, uh light i think light's incredibly important when it comes to our sleep um it helps uh, set our body clock to the world around us um uh, so uh, it can be good to get light during the day helping us understand that we should be awake and um, also help with our levels of arousal which are useful in the day of course um but but also equally avoiding bright light um, as the day progresses so um i think i mentioned before melatonin um uh, in relation to uh, uh, certain types of light, for example. So it can be useful to uh, use blackout blinds at night uh, to uh, stop that light disrupting our sleep. Uh, A next point I would say is probably uh, try to avoid arousal before bedtime. I mean, certainly in terms of uh, if you're trying to resolve a problem, for example, nighttime might not be the best time to do that
2: uh, because
0: we're often not at our best in terms of problem solving
2: also to get wound up for bed uh, isn't going to be helpful so nothing that kind of wakes the brain up too much
0: no exactly exactly or or work as well i always try and avoid um doing work late at night because i find that i then if i do that i then lie in bed and think about the various uh, bits of work that i've been doing yeah
2: so have you got one more tip
0: um, I would say think about um, what you eat and drink I mean there's lots of information out there about things like I don't know uh, drinking milk before bed or eating a kiwi before bed or eating certain types of cherries um, and my reading of the literature is that uh, there's not a great deal of evidence or or, or not very robust evidence, uh, to say that they're definitely going to be helpful for your sleep. Um, but what is much clearer is that certain things that we consume can cause problems for our sleep. So the most obvious ones being caffeine and alcohol, um, What's amazing about caffeine is how long the effects can last in your body. So even consuming coffee quite early um, can or or other types of caffeine as well. Of course, caffeine is not just in coffee, Um, but but, um, uh, can affect our sleep at night, um, including our sleep architecture. So the structure of our sleep. Um, So so I would recommend, I mean, ideally avoiding caffeine altogether, but um, possibly um, certainly avoiding it as the day progresses. Uh, and with alcohol, the, with, with alcohol, people often think um, you know a nightcap will help with your sleep, um, but it, and it seems to you know many people report nodding off straight away after um, drinking alcohol, but then the issue can be that you wake up during the second part of the night um, and you have
2: much uh, more fragmented sleep. Right. So the sleep quality is is reduced then.
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Especially during that second part of the night.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, the last question I've got for you, Alice, is I was wondering, as a sleep researcher, do you um, practice what you preach? Um, Have you become an expert at sleeping? (laughs) Um, uh,
0: I wish I had. Actually, my sleep's not too bad. I um, I There are lots of things that I definitely do right. So I prioritize my sleep. If the dishes are in the sink, I've uh, been known more than once to say to my husband, I can't possibly do them now because I'm, uh, you know, I need to get my full eight hours sleep. Um, so yeah, I use it as an excuse for sure. Um, also, consistency um, is something I do pretty well, actually. I get exhausted. Um, so by 10 o'clock, I you almost always get into bed. I mean, of course, I've, I've got a bit of a social life, so occasionally I have a late night, and that's great. But but on the whole, I tend to have a pretty consistent routine, and my kids also are very good at acting like an alarm clock and getting me up at the same time every day. <laughs> so um so that's that that's what I do. Well, I also don't work at night. I, I almost never work at night, actually, because. Uh, I do find that that can disrupt my sleep. Um, but I am terrible when it comes to caffeine, and um, I have a coffee here right now, actually. I should. <laughs> um, and um, I'm also not brilliant at turning down a glass of wine in the evening uh, just because it will affect my sleep. So I could do better.
1: <laughs> that was Alice Gregory talking about the size of a good night's sleep. Her book, nodding off, is out now. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. The November issue of BBC Focus magazine is on sale now, and in it we find out how spider bots could help reveal more about Neanderthal brains. We also reveal how wolves communicate using facial expressions, explore the intriguing world of microbes in the British gut, discover how lava lamps are linked to election hacking, and find out more about the British spaceport.